Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. So good to see each of you in the house of God this morning. God bless every one of our visitors as well. Hebrews 9 and 27. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. But this time, without sin and unto salvation. We're going to tag team preach today, Brother Cordell and I. We're each going to take a few minutes. And my part of my message today, I'm going to entitle, When All You Have Left Is a Promise. When All You Have Left Is a Promise. God bless you, you may be seated. I may not be able to stick with my notes today, so. Confusion and chaos reigned in Jerusalem. At the conclusion of the crucifixion, be a disciple this morning for a few minutes. So easy sometimes to be critical of people when you have the advantage of hindsight, when you're not in the exact same situation that they're in. We sometimes are critical, but I'll tell you the disciples made some tremendous sacrifices. One day Jesus walked up to Peter and Andrew said, follow me. They gave up their occupation. They walked off the boat. They followed him. He came to two more, James and John. Follow me. But he didn't call his dad. And they did what Peter and Andrew did. They left not only their boats, but they even left their dad. Sacrifices. And for three and a half years, they followed him and they saw his, his power and they saw his authority. After a while, they were even convinced that he was the Messiah. They had been looking for a king, but they discovered a servant. They had been looking for a lion, but they ended up with a lamb. You'll have to step aside now, Moses. You're no longer the meekest man on the face of the earth. The strongest was the meekest. And he was willing to give it all for you. Brother Meyer, I, I know you really had to restrain yourself today. But let me pick up where he left off because he ran out of time. We make promises too. I want to share with you, uh, just, just go with me here, Aaron, today. I want to share with you Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Let's go over there just for a minute. In Acts chapter 2 and 38, where Peter reveals the plan of salvation because he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, And where all the apostles agreed with what he had to say, he said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Watch here. Repentance is where we make promises to God. It's where we come to God and acknowledge our own sin for which he died and took our place. But we also make promises. I'm not going to live that way anymore, Lord. 
I'm going to turn my back on my previous lifestyle, and I'm going to be a disciple. And I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, and I'm going to do whatever you ask. It's where we make a commitment that is full of promises. Baptism in Jesus' name is where the blood is applied to our lives. And all of our sins are washed away. It's the way by which Calvary comes onto you. And your obedience to being baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ remits your sins. That's a promise from God from your obedience. But then he says, and you shall receive the gift. It's not something that's earned. It's a gift, but it's a gift every one of us needs because we can't live our promises without his power, without his spirit in our lives. Can you say amen? For the promise, the next verse says, here it is, for the promise is unto you and your children to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you can't be saved without being called. So the promise is for every one of us. Now the disciples, let me back up now. Let me go backwards a little bit. The disciples were confused by what happened. Somehow they missed it. Somehow they didn't understand that when he said in Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They didn't get it. I don't know how, but they missed it. There were lots of things they missed and didn't fully understand. Are you a disciple this morning? We've missed a lot of things too. We don't always understand. We miss it. The loss of a loved one is one of the most devastating things you'll ever experience in your life. Those of you that have lost a father or a mother can say amen. A sister or a brother. A spouse. It's devastating. How do you handle that without God? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But it's devastating. How did the disciples feel when they got word that he had died on the cross? Because apparently only John was the only disciple there. The rest of them weren't hiding. How do you handle that? How do you handle all the sacrifice that you've made to follow this man? How do you handle it when your great shepherd is slain? When after all you've seen and all you have experienced is taken away from you, what do you have left? All you have left is a promise. That's all you've got left. But that promise is enough. That promise is enough. I... I've suffered some losses in my life. I've suffered, I'll just tell you, the greatest loss was the loss of my father. My father was a World War II vet. He was captured at the Battle of the Bulge, spent the rest of the war in a prison camp. And it wasn't like Hogan's Heroes. It was difficult for him. And I had to have some serious talks with God respectfully about his passing. He died at the age of 59 years old of lung cancer. Should have died at 48. But after he came to know the Lord, he got an extra 11 years. God had given him a miracle. But how many people think that people should die at 59? I don't. I, I think that even back then the average was 70, so anybody that dies under 70 got gypped. Which brings me to Jesus. 
33? Anybody here 33? Just by chance. Anybody here 33 today? Look at this young, beautiful lady that's 33 years old. Be awful young to die, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't you ask the question, hey, why 33? How about 73? How about 83? I mean, I mean it's still going to have the same effect on eternity. Give us another 40 or 50. Why 33? It's too young. And we argue with God sometimes. And we tell God, God, uh, please, a little extra. One more miracle. Not mine. And when it happens, we're upset with God. I'm being honest. I, I'm, I'm bearing my soul to you. That was a hard one for me to take. But I prayed one day and I said, God, I don't know why you did that. I don't have to like it. And I know you outranked me. And he said, what if I saved your dad from dying by allowing him to be captured? Maybe if he hadn't been captured. And you know how he got captured? Out of obedience. His sergeant told him, Kylie, take the foxhole immediately in front of you. And he yelled back. This is what he told me. He said, Sergeant, is the foxhole clear? And he said, yes, the foxhole's been cleared. So my dad jumped up with his rifle, ran as fast as he could, jumped inside of the foxhole, and it was full of Germans. It's amazing that they didn't kill him right there. But he ended up in a prison camp. So God reminded me. Maybe he would have died in World War II and there would have been no little Ricky <laughs> and Stevie and Lindy and Jimmy. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. He knows what he's doing and we need to remember his promises. His promises are always True, yea and amen. Listen to a few of his promises. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What's that? A promise. Well, I don't feel him. I don't see him, even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Everything you can see today is temporal, but the soul that lives inside of you is an eternal soul, and that eternal soul is what Jesus died for. You're not getting out of this alive, but you have a bunch of promises that you can fall back on every time that you're confused or wondering what God is doing and why he is doing it. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. That's why you're never safe on an airplane. He said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> even to the end of the world. So even if I don't feel it, I have to remember the promises of God. I have to hang on to them. When my faith is being challenged, when I'm afraid or when I'm lonely, Listen to even the shepherd psalm, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
your authority and your love, they pull me in. John 14 and 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will. I'll be back. I'm not leaving you comfortless. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you see me. And because, oh, here's a promise, because I live, you will live also. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul said. He knew the promises of God and he held on to them. And they are what will sustain you and they are what will keep you. I leave you with this before Brother Cordell comes and shares with you this morning. Whatever trial you go through, whatever question you might have, God has a promise. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Well, I'm standing before you today and saying, I have a promise. I have a promise for whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm afraid of. It had to be tough for the disciples. Had to be. I'm sure they even thought, maybe we're next. And that's why they were in hiding. And that's why Jesus came back for 40 days and opened up their understanding to the scriptures. And that's why he came back and reminded them of his promises because he knew that they needed to hear it again. One of the greatest trials I ever went through in my life was a 40-day trial concerning death. Because of my father's death at the age of 59, the enemy came to me and told me that three things. One, just as your father, you will die young. So that's not true, I'm already old. <laughs> number two, you will die of cancer as your father did. And number three, three, you will suffer greatly. And he came every day for 40 days. The first day he came, I was smart enough to know to go to God and say, I know this isn't you. This isn't the way you talk. So just tell me that what he's telling me is a lie and it won't happen. And this will be the end of the trial. But it never works to tell God what to do. Just tell God what your plans are and he'll laugh. And I went through this for 40 days and finally it wore me out. And finally I realized the error of my ways. I'm not so smart all the time. And I went to God and I said, God, I get it. The reason you haven't answered when I've asked you to tell me what I want you to say is because that's not the way you operate. You operate in faith. And so God, I need an answer, even if it's not what I want to hear. Brother Meyer said, you came here today with a bunch of questions. You're going to get all the answers, but you might not like them. And they might require something of you. But when you're obedient, God will bring you through the trial. I promise. I promise. So I said, all right, God, tell me what I need to hear, even if it's not what I want to hear. Are you willing to pray that way? And God said, before I answer, finally he speaks. Before I answer, I have a question for you. And I'm asking every one of you today. Have I ever failed you in the past? I was quick. No, sir. You've never failed me in the past. Then why would you think I would fail you in the future? Hasn't God earned our trust by now? What more could he do? And then he said, and here's your answer. Whatever you go through, I'm going to be right there with you. And we're going to go through it together. And I'm going to give you what you need when 
you need it. That's a promise. So keep walking with God, even when you're confused or afraid. Because if all you've got left is a promise, that's enough. Praise the Lord. What an honor to be able to share with you a message on the day we celebrate resurrection. The world of Christianity honors today as the day we celebrate that resurrection. Here at Abundant Life, we call it Sunday Church. We live a life every day celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. So I have a question for you today to follow with Pastor Kylie's message. And I want to dive into this a little bit for you today. And I want to say, what did he die for? What did he die for? We get together and, and, and we honor this day. We absolutely should honor this day. We should make it a special day. Maybe some of us dressed up a little bit nicer today, put on our purple tie instead of our regular tie. We should honor this day. But I have another question for you. What's, what's a greater, of greater importance that we, we recognize traditions, that we recognize things that we've always done, what society and culture tells us, or that we dive into the word of God, the very word of God, and determine what God's will is in its entirety. Which is greater? I would contend with you today that diving into the word of God and understanding the full picture is much greater and more important. And so when I ask the question, what did he die for? You might say, well, that's, obviously that's a simple, we've heard that our entire lives. He died for our sins. He died so we can be saved. But see, there's greater meaning to that, I believe, for, for, for us. And, and many of us know and have had this experience, but I want to share that with you today. I believe that there are people in the house this morning who had experience with God, know God to some level and some degree, and we're all at a different, somewhat of a different place. But I think there's some that are here today that deeply, deeply are desperate to really know what God has for them in their lives. Some of you may be torn up inside. There may be hearts that are just bursting out saying, I want to get this thing right. I want to understand. I really want to know. And I believe God's given me a message for you today, and I want to, I want to share that with you. In John chapter 10, you can turn there if you'd like to. John chapter 10, starting at verse 11, it simply says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth, giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Folks, he knows your heart today. He's here. He's looking into your heart and he understands the exact place that you are. And I'm telling you today, he's calling you. There's a message for you in this word today. And if you just quietly say to yourself right this moment, God, let me hear what you have to say. Let me hear the purpose of all of this, all of this confusion and life and challenges and all this. Let me hear the purpose today. He'll answer that prayer if you just but listen to him. Verse 15 goes on to say, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Do you know what Jesus is talking about there? See, in the book of John, he's, he's preaching to, to, to Jews. But that other sheep he's talking about are the Gentiles. The message that's yet to come. The message that was for you and I. Brother Kylie quoted it in Acts chapter 2 when the, the ministry began to the Jews and shortly thereafter... God calls the apostle Paul and begins preaching to the Gentiles. So he's already foretelling of the other sheepfold that he's going to call. And he says, them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Folks, there's just one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
One God who's the father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. There's just one. You see, this Bible that I have sitting here on the pulpit is just the King James Version of the Bible. It's the same Bible you can find in any church in America that you can walk into. But I can promise you this, that in the course of my life and ministering to people over many years and people of all backgrounds, I judge no one, I simply share. I simply say, let's dive into the Word of God and truly understand. And when that has happened, it's been shocking to me almost where people have said, I had no idea that was in the Word. I had no idea that's what the Word of God said. I've never been taught that before. I've never been exposed to that before. Or why? Simply because the traditions of men. Because men like to frame and structure things into a system that works for them. And when I ask you the question, what did he die for? One of the answers isn't simply just because it's for your sins. It's because he didn't want to leave this in the hands of the tradition of men. And by sacrificing his life and dying on the cross, he created a permanent covenant in his word that said, this is the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And the life is in me. I want to expose you to that today. I don't want to tear down anybody's traditions. I don't care about what your background is. All I simply want to do is share the word of God from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we both understand and we both acknowledge and worship. Verse 17, he goes on to say, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. So for any of you who've traditionally been taught that Jesus finally just got caught, Judas betrayed him, they caught up with him, they took him to Calvary and crucified him. No. He was in complete command of that the entire time. Do you realize that they could never get a witness to him? They could never corroborate enough witnesses to actually crucify him. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees were after him constantly. But see, in the law, it said by the voice of two or more witnesses, they couldn't get two people to corroborate the same story and they could never, ever get him to crucify him until he was ready to give of himself. He became the third witness or the second witness. He's the one who finally said, yes, it is I. When they questioned him. And it was at that point that they took him and prepared him for crucifixion. But even then, But even then, they couldn't quite get it right. They couldn't quite nail it down. And so they take him and they turn him over to a Roman magistrate. And even he couldn't find reason. Even he couldn't come up with it. And he turned it back over to the people and the mob took over. And yelled, crucify him, crucify him. The same people a week ago who praised him and worshipped him and threw palms on the ground in front of him as he rode into Jerusalem on on a donkey. Look at what Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 and 6 says. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. This is the book of Isaiah written approximately 400 years prior to the birth of Christ. If you want to really, really understand the foundation of Christ's ministry and that this thing isn't just just this one particular way or one particular tradition, but understand that it is the greater picture and plan of God, read the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah might as well just be called Jesus. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, the Bible itself says, lean not unto thine own understanding. It says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but that way leads to the path of destruction. Why? Because we're human beings. As I said a moment ago, we want to structure things in a way that's comfortable for us. We want to put things into a framework and a system that makes the most sense to us. And so traditions of men can be comfortable. It can be a great place. But what I'm telling you today is that he didn't die for that. He didn't die so we could determine for us and for ourselves this one particular idea or the other. There is not multiple paths to Calvary. There is not multiple ways. There isn't 15 paths to get to Chicago. There's one way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. In Jesus' name. We refer often at this time of the year We talk about Jesus as the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We make lamb cakes and we have all these wonderful, those are things are fine. That's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. We honor God in those things, but there's such a focus on that. Well, the reason is, is because in that permanence, I said in that permanence that he had to die, 
that was his prescription for redemption because the Bible simply says and tells us this, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. See, some tradition might say that if we just believe in God and we're good people, then we've met the requirement of the word of God. But I'm here to tell you today that he, he didn't have to die for us to believe. He was going around Jerusalem and around Middle Asia there and he was doing miracles. Do you realize that he, had, he, he attacked and handled and did miracles for every possible aspect of life you could experience? If you go blind, he could heal the blind. If you were a deaf person, he could heal your hearing. Even up until death, he resurrected after four days in the tomb a man named Lazarus. Every aspect of human existence, he took it out. He healed it. He miracled it away. Isn't that enough for us to believe? He didn't have to die for us to believe. We would have been believing already. Even those that were of the greatest amount of flesh that just said, well, I have to see it to believe it. He said, okay, here you go. Boom. Dead guy gets up and walks out of the tomb. But he had to be the lamb. He had to sacrifice himself. He had to make that permanent covenant with us. John chapter 1 and verse 29 says, this is talking about John the Baptist, says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He had to shed his blood so that going forward into the future, we, would never, we wouldn't have to keep sacrificing animals and pushing sin forward a year instead of actually having redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So there is a specific process. There is a way that we partake of the remission of our sins. We have to. You see, God is, God is a spirit. He's eternal. He cannot die. So he couldn't experience that for us, and he couldn't provide us that experience unless he robed himself in flesh and sent himself here to live among us and experience what we experience, yet without sin, so that he could be that permanent, perfect, sacrificial lamb. And that's how he sacrificed himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says this. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And again, I'm going back to my comment on traditions. According to the scriptures, according to the law, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Again, he says, according to the scriptures. Paul was emphatic, according to the scriptures. See, he didn't just die for us to have a memorial. He didn't just die because it was awe-inspiring. And, you know, Brother Kylie mentioned just a moment ago, and I had it in my notes, actually, to talk about this in this regard. But we honor and we, we, we enjoy and, and, and we, we talk about the sacrifices of those who've gone and died for us. People in the military and, and, and people, firefighters and police officers and these people that sacrifice themselves for other people's safety. We honor that. It's a wonderful thing to do. But beyond that, the memory goes away. It fades. And we bring it back once in a while and we try to remember and we always have, have memorials and things for those who passed on. But just as Brother Kylie was saying, it's, it's simply a memorial. And that's it. We don't do anything necessarily for that person. Maybe we'll, we'll put a cross up or we'll, we'll put some sort of a plaque on a statue in a park somewhere. But that's it. It's simply just a memorial. But see, this was beyond a memorial. It was beyond a memorial. It was an instruction. It was a pathway. It was a one way. One way. To get to what it was that he intended for us in salvation. As Paul said in Corinthians, according to to the scriptures. His death, if you learn, and I would love to teach anybody who would like to understand, we talk often in this church and we preach often the, the tabernacle plan when the Israelites were passing through the wilderness and they set up a, a tent. Moses had gone to Sinai and gotten the law from God and he set, established this worship process, this roaming church, if you will, and he set up a process for whereby the, the Israelites had to follow a particular process in order to have their sins remitted, that there was this honoring God and that there was this relationship they had with God. And so Jesus in his very life followed the pattern that they followed in the tabernacle. They sacrificed the lamb and that was, that was the blood and 
then they went and washed in the, in the basin and they, they made their robes white and clean and then they went and communed with God. But see, one man, one man only in all of Israel, a Levite priest, a man from the tribe of Levi, a Levite priest was the only person of all of the, the nations of Israel that was allowed to enter into the holy place, the holy of holies, the presence of God. And so when Jesus was on the cross and he had, was, was expiring from all of his wounds and his injuries, and his last words were, it is finished. When he said that, there was a veil in the temple that was built by Solomon in Jerusalem, a massive veil that covered over the area we call the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence existed, where the only the priests could go. And when he passed away that day, that veil, it says, was rent in two. That thing was approximately 60 feet tall. It was the width of a man's hand thick. It was a massive, massive piece of cloth, layers and layers and layers. And the priest would get on his hands and knees and crawl under that thing in reverence to God. And he was the only one that can commune with God. But I'm telling you today, you're in the Holy of Holies here. The veil was rent in two. What God was saying is no more is there a place between you and I. I am the propitiation for your sin. I am the priest that will be there with you for your sin. Come, come into this place and commune with God. Now it's all over. Now it's me and you, personal relationship. That's why he died for us. If you turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. I want you to know and understand today. I know God's speaking into somebody's heart right now. I know they are. I know he is. I want you to understand today. This isn't just church. We're not just doing tradition. We never do. We dive into the word of God. We, yes, we take it literally. It is literal. It has purpose and it has meaning. And God's attending it for you today. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, going through verse 7, says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that the dead, that, excuse me, get tongue-tied here. God forbid, how shall we that, there are dead that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We can't just keep going. We can't decide for ourselves. We can't just say, I believe God and that's okay and, and I'm a good person and, 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 I, and I can just live my life that way and show up at church once in a while and do some good deeds. We can't. That's continuing sin. There's no remission in that. There's nothing that takes that away. Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? You see, he was modeling for us the process that he followed we must follow. It's the same process that was followed in the tabernacle. When we repent, when we go to God and we ask him forgiveness of our sins, we're dying to ourselves like he died on the cross. We have to die spiritually of our old spirit, our old man. Right? We're modeling exactly what he did, those steps. It was not for no purpose. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's saying right there specifically, if you want that resurrection, if you want to live, you've got to follow that pattern. You've got to die with him. You've got to be buried with him in baptism so that you rise out of baptism. And just like you come out of baptism, you partake in the resurrection that he's going to promise. It's someday, whether you're alive or dead, he's going to return. He's going to come back for his people who followed this word, not the traditions of men, not the idea that you had in your head, but what the scripture says. He's going to come back and he's going to redeem his people. And if you followed this pattern, the resurrection waits for you. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There you go. When we repent, when we come to this altar or we find a place and we talk to God and we say, God, please forgive me. I want to change my life. I want to turn it around. I want to live properly for you. I want to dive into your word. I want to understand how it is I'm supposed to live. This life is not giving me anything. I'm frustrated. I'm fearful. I'm dealing with problems. I have issues in my marriage. I've got all these challenges in life. I want to know. I want to know what it is that you have for me. And you find a place of repentance. For he that is dead is dead is freed from sin. There you go. You got to die just like he died. It's not just a matter of 
I believe. You see, he died so you could die. Let's look at John, 1 John chapter 1 and 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's in the word, folks. It's what it says. He's calling you. He's talking to you. He's saying, look, this is the first step. It's Resurrection Sunday. This is why I died. The answer to my question from the beginning, this is why he died. So in our first step, we follow his death on the cross. We model that. We die to ourselves. There's a big change there. There's a, there's a conscious decision to say, yes, I need to live differently. I need to find this thing out. I want to follow the pattern that Christ laid down. It's not just a matter of following ceremony. It's not just a matter of, of following the tradition of men, but their scriptural direction and purpose. Now, our next step is Christ was buried in a tomb. We all know that, right? We hear that story every Easter. He was in the tomb, and the tomb rolled away, and the resurrection happened, right? There's a reason for that. We need to understand that he was buried. He had to take that old man. It had to be put underground. It had to be buried beneath the earth to kill it, to take it out. First, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3 and 21. This is so critically important. We've got to understand the like figure wherein even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God now listen to what it says by the resurrection of Jesus Christ he didn't die just so we could say I believe you Lord so we could stand at the cross every every year and just go what an awesome savior we have thank you God for everything you did I believe you we have to be buried with him in baptism if we want to follow his pattern to newness of life to partake of the resurrection Look at Mark 16, chapter, or excuse me, Mark 16, verse 16 says this. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now in that, in that context of that sentence, you could very easily put the, context, excuse me, the, the content or the purpose of the first part of the sentence into the sec, second. And it could say, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. So you can put the subject in the second part of the sentence. It doesn't change it. It doesn't modify the word of God. That's simply the point that was being made. Baptism. It's the act of following Christ's burial. It's not just something we do to be a part of the club. It's not something to say that we're just acknowledging an outward work for God. He clearly and distinctively defined for us that a step in the process, you have to follow my burial. You've got to bury the old person. And then there's the communing with the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 7. It says that because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Okay, now what that means, the carnal mind just simply means your mind in the flesh. You're not being spiritual, you're just operating as a human being. And, and unfortunately, we're just typically not good people. We're born in sin, we're made of sin, we just have a carnal mind. We can tend to be selfish, we create traditions. And it says that it's enmity, which means it's just not agree, in agreement with God. It's against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So if you just remain in your carnal mind, if you just remain the person you are, without that repentance process, that changing of your heart, that that giving it over to God and that burial under the water, if you're just going to stay the same carnal person you were, you're at enmity with God. I'm sorry, but that's what the word says. I'm not interpreting for you. I'm telling you the literal meaning of the word of God. And it says you cannot be in agreement with God as long as you remain carnal. Your spirit needs to be born. Go on to verse 9. Excuse me, 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but are in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Well, I believe in God, and, and so when I believed him, I received, I received God, and I have his spirit. I'm not going to apologize, folks, that that's not scriptural. I'm sorry. He didn't die so that we could just determine for ourselves that we have his spirit. There is a specific process. Look at Mark 16 again. Now we're going to go to verse 17 and 18. Look what it says. Mark 16 and 17. 
This is Jesus speaking now, and he says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. So there's, there's obviously something more to believing than just believing. These signs will follow them. It says, in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Verse 18, they shall take up serpents, and if any drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. These signs shall follow them that believe. That's Jesus talking. They'll speak with new tongues. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, I believe it starts out, and it says that someday there's going to be a group of people standing before Jesus. Matthew 7, and, I believe it's 7 and 21. And he's going to say, many in that day shall say unto me, when it says that day, it's talking about the day of judgment, the day that you face your, your, your maker. And whether you believe in him or don't believe in him or you, you, you feel that you've done everything you need to do, it doesn't matter because he's going to exact exactly what he put into his word. And he says, many in that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And so on and so on. And, he, and, and, and we've got it up on the screen. Not everyone that, that, that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Go on to verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That tells me that there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to stand before God that believed that they had the right tradition and the right thing and they did what their leader said or they did what they felt was right in their mind. They did what was right according to their carnal mind and they thought they were doing well, but he's going to stand there and say, I never knew you. That word know in scripture literally means the spiritual side of intimacy. Not the physical side, but it means the same thing. Like it says in the Bible that, that Mary was a spouse to Joseph but knew him not, or he knew her not. That means they weren't intimate together. Same thing, but this is the spiritual side. He's going to say, I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. Why? Because you didn't follow my word. You decided for yourself what you thought was the right way. And he's, and he's going to basically tell them, I'm sorry, depart from me, you that work iniquity. And you know what depart means doesn't mean we have, a, we have a basement in heaven that you can go to and that it's real dark and dank, but you can still be in heaven. It doesn't mean that. Folks, I implore you today that there's a pattern that Jesus set. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve had to be covered for their sin. An animal had to die so that they could have clothing. Animal's blood was shed so that they could have clothing to cover their nakedness and to repair their sin. And on through the tabernacle and on and on and on, there's a single pattern that you must know. That the reason we celebrate resurrection every Easter, the reason we talk about this time, isn't because we just want to memorialize that he died. That's not what he died for. He didn't die so that we could memorialize him, so we could say what a great hero and an honor, honorable God that he was. He died so that we could have a pattern so that we can live. So Brother Kylie and, and, and Pastor Rob, both uh, uh, connected with it today. I'd have you turn to Acts chapter 2. Pastor Meyer said that 50 days, 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the time when Jesus broke bread with the disciples, they were in Jerusalem. It was the day of Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost simply was a Jewish feast day. It was called the Feast of Trumpets. It was a special day. And so Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate and to honor God at the temple, right? They would come to the temple. And so after Jesus died, he appeared to the apostles again and again. You can read it throughout the first part of Acts. You can read it at, towards the end of, uh, end of Matthew after his resurrection. He came back a few times. He visited with Thomas and he visited with Mary and he visited with the apostles. He was around for a while and he was giving them instruction and he was telling them things to do. And so one of the instruction was, he said, go to Jerusalem, go, tarry ye, just wait, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That power, that word means dunamis, it's that Holy Spirit power, it's a holy power that he's going to give. He said, I will return in the form of the Spirit, I will be your comforter. See, he died so that he could do greater works through us instead of just being one man traveling from town to town spreading the word. He did the work, everybody was believing, he established the work, but he needed you and he needed me to be able to be filled with his spirit to continue that work. 
And so he told him to go to Jerusalem. He said, wait until you be endued from power on high. And in Acts chapter 2, we find that the, the, these, the apostles were praying and worshiping in the temple in this place they called the upper room. I think it was a place that was just much closer to where the Holy of Holies was where the Spirit of God dwelt at the t- in the temple at that time. And they were praying and worshiping. And the Bible says that there were, there were people from all over Middle Asia. They spoke different languages. The primary language at that time beyond your own region was Greek. It was required by law that you, you could speak Greek. Obviously, the empire had determined that. And then you spoke the language of your own region. And so these men are in there praying and worshiping. And suddenly the Holy Ghost comes rushing in like a fire sitting on top of them and they burst out and they start speaking in tongues. They start speaking in language. They, they did not know and could not possibly know. And they were glorifying God and saying many wonderful things. Now I know that the world has made mockery of this process. They've, they all oh, these wacko people, these, these folks that are tongue talkers. You absolutely believe that this is real and it's now and it's today. God is filling people with the Holy Ghost today, every week. And we're speaking in tongues and we're glorifying God as he gave it. Why? Because it's his spirit entering us. It's the resurrection. See, someday I don't want to be standing here and say, yes, Jesus, I did pray. Yes, Jesus, I did believe in you. But I didn't do that whole baptism thing I didn't think it was necessary my pastor said don't worry about it and I didn't do that Holy Ghost thing because the guy on TV said it's wacko or the newscast or CNN or somebody else said it was goofy it was strange really do you ever turn on a rap radio station there's people speaking in tongues all over the place (laughs) folks I'm here to tell you this is real and I'll die with my last breath professing that it's real So here are all these Jews standing around going, what in the world is going on? How is it possible that these men are are speaking languages only that we know? It's nine o'clock in the morning. They they said they must be drunk. And then Peter stands up and he says, no, it's 9 a.m. It's the third hour of the day. We're not drinking. It's not possible. At least at that time in history, nobody would ever think of doing that. No. But they're hearing God being glorified in languages. They, see, they know by their dress and their accent and all those things. They knew they were Galileans. They were not from Persia and all these other places. In Italy, the Italian band, as it says in Scripture. And so when Peter stands up to preach this message, it's 50 days after the day that Jesus broke bread with his disciples. He was no fool. He waited until the one day there would be more people than any other time of the year that he could expose this event to. And so they're wondering, what's going on? Why, why, what are you people doing? And that's when Peter stands up in boldness. The same apostle, by the way, that denied Christ three times. Stands up, and he begins to preach the first message of the New Testament church. See, this was the birth of the church. Not the Council of Nicaea. Not the advent of John Calvin. That was the birth of the church, the one church. That's it. Simple. We don't own it, by the way. This church didn't own that event. It's in Scripture. You can own it too, no matter where you go. But this was the birth of the church. Why? Because Jesus came back in the form of the Holy Ghost and filled his apostles and said, now, now you're going to go into the world and preach this thing, baptizing them and giving them the word that I've given you. And so he begins to preach to them and talk to them about Jesus and how, you know, you guys just crucified the Savior. You guys just killed the Son of God. And so the Bible says that they're pricked in their hearts. Their conscience is now burning because Peter's preaching down on them and they realize, they come to a realization, and I'm hoping right now in the hearts of minds of people that are sitting in this congregation that your mind is starting to go to that process that Jesus died for you. You didn't kill him. But see, in the flesh, as we sin over and over and over again, we crucify him again and again and again until we give our lives to him, until we surrender like the apostles did. And so they say, men and brethren, I mean, now they're afraid. Now they're scared. They realize they just murdered the Son of God. And they say, men and brethren, what, what do we do? Here's that question, Pastor Rob. What do we do? And Peter looked at him with boldness, full of the Holy Ghost, and he said, repent. 
Why did he say repent? Because he knew the scripture. He knew the word. He knew Jesus' will, that repentance was a death to yourself. It was a way to say, I'm done being the sinning person that I was. I'm done being that old man. I want to die today. So he was telling him, die to yourself. Not physically, obviously. Die to yourself. Repent. And then he said what? He said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? As a symbol of joining the group? As a way to say that you're part of the club? As membership to the church? No, for the remission of your sins. What does remission mean? It means the eradication. It's gone. It's under the blood. Jesus will forget it. It's behind you. You can partake of that blood again and again and again because once you partake of it, you become his. You become under the blood. And then he said, and and ye shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise, as Pastor Kylie said, is to you and to your children and to all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call to Abundant Life Apostolic Church on April 22nd, 2019 for an Easter service. That means you. That means me. That's the answer to the question, folks. We can stand this morning. I know this may be very difficult for some to absorb. It may be new information. It may be hard. Well, that's just your church's version of it, or that's just the way that you guys think. I understand all those things that go through your mind. And for those of you that may hold fast to that today, I hope you come back and continue to hear more and learn more. But somebody in here, God is speaking directly to you. See, we don't save you. I'm not going to save you. Pastor Kylie is not going to save you. Pastor Meyer is not going to save you. He's not, we're not going to reach you. See, we're just sharing the word of God. That's all our job is. God does the work. And so somebody in this room, God is speaking into your heart this moment and saying, yes, what he's saying is true. I read it out of the word of God. I interpreted nothing in my own way. Those are literally the words. Acts chapter 4 and 12 says, neither, salva- neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. Jesus is the name. We baptize in Jesus' name because it says there's no other name. I didn't make that up. It's in Acts chapter 4. The word baptism does not mean throw some water on somebody. It doesn't. I'm sorry, but you can go back into all the translations. Baptism means to dip or submerge or plunge. You know where it comes from? Back in ancient times, they had to preserve things like vegetables and fruits. Well, they couldn't pack it all in salt and just pack it under the ground like they did meat. So you know what they would do? Is they'd stir up a slurry slurry of salty water and they would submerge their vegetables. They would baptize their vegetables into these clay jars so that it wouldn't rot and they could come back later and get it. That's where that comes from. Did you know that? And finally, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Why? Why? For the love of God, if it's possible, even possible, that God is willing to dwell in your heart, dwell in your life, simply by you surrendering your tongue and speaking in another language. Why wouldn't you try? Why wouldn't you say, okay, God, I'm willing. You're not going to be a heretic. It's in the Word of God. You're not going to do anything wrong according to your tradition. It's the Word. They spoke in other languages that they shouldn't have known. And the the people surrounding them from all the different areas identified their languages. It's not goofiness. We're not doing a show. It's not a performance. God literally speaks through us in languages we can't understand. Why does he do that? Why would he choose something goofy that makes us feel uncomfortable and and our neighbors would think or make us kooky? I'll tell you why. Because if you're speaking in a language inspired by God, you can't defile it. You can't put your own thoughts and words into it. You can't turn it and curb it and change it. See, when it's a pure communication between the Spirit and him through your heart, you can't defile it. It's perfect. That's why. And that's word, folks. In Jesus' name. God, we're so thankful, Lord, for your word. For your word, Jesus. For the very word that we've carried around all these many years, all our churches in this country and other countries, the Christianity that's been established here, it's been in our hands this whole time. And God, I'm so thankful for the revelation of the word. I'm so thankful for the times that people spoke out and said, hey, there's... 
Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.